Hello and welcome to the Place to Place podcast. I'm Claire Dewhurst, the director of City Nation Place, the forum for place brands and place marketing. The idea behind this podcast series is to create a chain of conversations between place branding leaders to give you the chance to listen in to honest conversations about their challenges and the solutions they're finding and the opportunities they're exploring to ensure that their place brand and their place marketing strategies deliver economic benefits. We're really thrilled that you've chosen to tune in and hope you enjoy the discussions. For this first episode, we're so happy to have with us Daniel Valverde, the Country Brand Director for Costa Rica. And he's volunteered to kick off this chain of connections by chatting to Rebecca Smith, who's the director of the New Zealand story. Daniel and Rebecca have both described their countries as having immense synergies. So I'm really excited to hear more. Welcome, Daniel. Welcome, Rebecca. And Daniel, over to you. Thank you, Claire. Rebecca and me have spoken plenty of times here in Costa Rica. I'm hopefully someday I'll be there in New Zealand. You know, I probably never told you this before, but actually the first time I heard about New Zealand, I'm sorry for that, is when we knew here in Costa Rica that Peter Jackson was about to shoot the Lord of the Rings. So it was like, wow, I mean, I have to know more about that country. I've heard your story is fantastic. So I would like to start from that particular Thing. From the from beginning? The very, well, this is the beginning, yeah. The whole project is quite a case. I mean, it's yeah. one of the most important yeah. place branding cases I've read about. There was there was definitely a point in time where um, this kicked off, and it was 11 years ago in 2010, and New Zealand was at the Shanghai World Expo. And the story goes, we built a beautiful expo. I didn't see it. I wasn't in place branding at the time either. It was wonderful. We had um, Māori cultural dancers. It looked very beautiful and it won an award at the Shanghai Expo. And notoriously, our Prime Minister of the time, John Key, he came back and he said to his ministers in private, he said, well, that just told the world the same thing we've always told the world, that we're a beautiful place that would like you to come visit one day, but it didn't do anything else for us. And so from that, a group, a very small group of ministers got their heads together and said, we need to do something about this. We need to tell a broader story about New Zealand. It took a little bit of time, but they started to get their heads together between tourism, trade and education. And these three core ministers, including the prime minister, and said, what what are we going to do? And around about that time, they also heard Simon Anholt speak, who talked about place branding at the time. And they said, well, we don't want to create a brand because that's dangerous territory. Nobody really understands what a brand is, let alone government. We've all got different ideas of what it means. What we need to do is tell a broader story. And so the genesis of a New Zealand story started then. Talking about the 100% pure concept. You know, at the time in Costa Rica, we had something very similar. We had the 100% no artificial ingredients. So one of the first things I, I saw in your history was that 100% pure. I was like, oh, that seems to be, it's quite close. It's probably the same concept. So I started reading about the New Zealand story. And so what triggers me the most is that in our narrative, we have a lot of same topics, obviously addressed from a different perspective, but uh, we care about many, many things that are practically the same. So I was wondering, have you have you find hard to have the private sector engaged not only with the brand itself, embracing the narrative of it, but also the importance of committing to adopt sustainable practices for the people, the planet, uh, prosperity? The short answer is yes and no. 
the private sector, it was very much around, don't tell me what to do. And also, I don't think that the New Zealand brand offers any value to me when I'm pitching up overseas, because we're known as being a tourist destination. So how on earth could that possibly help me sell my technology or my advanced manufacturing solution or my kiwi fruit? So we had to uncover all of those barriers and issues. And so what what would you do instead? And I think that's always the key question when you're challenged is, what would you do? If we don't do this, how might we do something differently? How might we change New Zealand's position in the world? So getting them engaged in that conversation early, it is a conversation that never finishes, never. So we have to continue to work very hard to get the private sector involved. We do that a number of ways, but we've always been very mindful that their brand comes first and the country brand is a supporting pillar behind that that helps them to achieve their goals Uh, and that's been really really important for us. Regarding the specific aspect about the private sector engagement if we stay in a very puristic approach to branding things like the licensing protocol for the use of of the brand wouldn't be like a fit right there. But still, in the case, both in Costa Rica and New Zealand, we have found that actually that's a very important initiative, keeping those companies engaged and aligned with the narratives. But they are quite different. I mean, it's not that the idea is just not to put a logo on packaging and that's it. It's, it's, there's a greater idea out there. And so I was wondering if you can share a little bit more about that program of yours. When I took on this role, there was a very small line in my job description that said, refresh and manage the country symbol, the fern mark. (laughs) So once I took on the role, and I'd come out of the dairy industry and seen a lot of misuse of the New Zealand fern mark and the logo, etc. So to be blunt, it was a mess. And that was part of the issue that we had to deal with as people were saying, I'm not going to put that on my product because this cowboy over here is using it in a way that I don't agree with, or I I think that they're undermining our sustainability credentials. So we really had to clean everything out. We went into offshore trade shows to see who was using it. I think I sent something like 100 cease and desist letters to people to to stop them using the brand inappropriately. We had some awkward conversations with people. It was hard work, but we had to clean it out first and really get back to a clean starting point where we could build some trust around it. What we wanted to do was encourage people who were compliant, who were doing the right thing already, to be rewarded or to find and have the opportunity to use the New Zealand brand to to promote that fact, to provide assurance to the market. And for us, our biggest market is China, where assurance stamps are very, very important. So that was the main area that we worked with. So coming back to your question about sustainability, it's not that difficult in New Zealand to get people on board with that. It's very inherent in everything that we do. We have a principle of called kaitiaki or kaitiaki tanga, which is guardianship of people, place and planet. And we believe very much that our land is, is they're our ancestors. So the mountains and the sea, the sky, the earth is, is our father and our mother and our ancestors. So you wouldn't do anything to destroy your ancestors or to upset your ancestors. And so that is very much built into the the way that we behave naturally. 
in your case, I think you have proven that the heritage and indigenous people could play a key role in, in the building of a place brand narrative with, because it is embraced into the culture itself. So it's not something that you're making up just for marketing purposes or promotion purposes. It's actually that it is actually within the culture of, of the country, but it's complicated, of course. And it's very hard to keep that balance because some we have seen brands around the world that have a very powerful tilt toward their indigenous people and, and others actually that do not even tackle the topic at all. So I think there's a very important balance that has to be achieved. What do you think would be like in the case of New Zealand, the key to the success? Because it's everywhere. I mean, in Costa Rica, I'll tell you, we don't know a thing about rugby, but we all know what the old blacks are. Yeah. <laughs> It brings a little bit about the culture and it makes you wonder, oh, wow, what's that about? Brings you that curiosity to know more about the culture. And then you start like uh, discovering all these layers into New Zealand. You know, we have not always treated our indigenous peoples well. And so there's been a significant uprising and unrest around that and restitution involved in it. And, you know, I, I think we're often looked to as a, as a country that has solved it. I, we don't feel like we've solved it. We feel like we're still very much on a journey because once you start to get through that process, then you start to get into questions of cultural appropriation, cultural education and understanding who who has the right to speak about that culture and who doesn't and who shouldn't. A Māori language has had a massive resurgence in New Zealand. It's the fastest growing language course in the country and not by Māori per se, by New Zealanders, by all races taking up the language. So we are still uncovering our knowledge of our own Indigenous culture. So from a place branding perspective, we tread that path very carefully because it is not an asset to be used to promote a country. You know, it, it has to be much, much deeper than that. It has to be embedded in the story in an authentic manner. And in my view, we're at a tipping point on this where we actually need Māori to be leading this conversation and to be wanting to lead the conversation and prepared to step out onto the world stage and share what they stand for and who they are. And that's starting to occur. You know, alongside this, we've had seven or eight years of the Māori economy growing. So, you know, you've got business people here who just weren't prepared to talk seven, eight years ago because they felt that they were just learning and didn't want to be pulled down by others. So that confidence has grown. The number of businesses who are doing business around the world really successfully, Māori businesses and partnering and investing has grown dramatically. So I feel like we're ready for the next stage, which actually needs to be led from a Māori perspective. So we, we don't think we've solved it at all. <laughs> we think we're, yeah, very early on in that journey. Hi, everyone. I'm just jumping in to let you know that if you're enjoying this conversation and would like to have more of them, our City Nation Place events offer you the opportunity to connect with place brand leaders from around the world. And if you're working for a place government, a DMO, an investment promotion or economic development team, you can also join our membership hub, CMP Connections, where you can join in with virtual roundtables and access exclusive content. You can find out more at citynationplace.com. Right now, let's get back to the podcast. 
Another thing that we we have talked before is is the influence and, and importance of politics in place branding. Because I thought most place branding teams around the world will tell you like, uh, oh, you know, we don't we don't like to to get involved into politics. It's a very important stakeholder. You know, it appears that it's very very hard for a political leader to actually affect positively a place brand. Nevertheless, uh, leaders like the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern have achieved that. In our case, in Central Costa Rica, we don't even go close to environmental decisions. I mean, it's, it's, things that are being discussed lively in Congress are something that we um, acknowledge the importance of those discussions, but we don't use that as part of our, our narrative. So I was wondering, what do you think will be like the key aspects for such a leader to to affect positively please my narrative well the first thing i would say is that our prime minister has a degree in communications she's an exceptionally articulate individual who is empathetic by nature and and what you see is her authentic self secondly our prime minister and our ministers really understand the value of uh, country reputation and, and country brand. And again, that has taken time to build up. Not unlike many other countries, we've had different governments, we've had different ministers, and every time the first thing we do is go in and, and, and I say this very kindly, but educate and discuss why. Why do we do this? What's important about it? What is your perspective on it? Because it is really valuable for, for us to have them completely on board and to be um, talking to it. And it comes back to your question about private sector engagement, but also public sector engagement. We need those leaders to be champions of it. However, they and we don't encourage their political involvement in it. So we remain very um, bipartisan and non-political in the messages that we create for the rest of the world. We, we very deliberately don't talk about um, a political um, policy or an aspiration. We very clearly only speak to what we have done, what we can demonstrate that we have, have already done. Because the job of aspiration and, and politics is the politician's job. Our job is to say, here's the proof, here's the evidence, here's what we're doing. And, and that's what creates a, um, a brand in the minds of, of people is not what you say, but what you are doing. So we very carefully amplify what we're doing rather than telling them stuff. <laughs> So that's, that's, that's the difference. I think the other thing I would say is, is related to COVID. Unfortunately, we've had a number of crises to deal with, from earthquakes through to a terrorist attack. We had a volcanic eruption last year, which was devastating, and now we have COVID. So ironically, New Zealand is actually quite good at dealing with crises, which I'm not sure we ever planned to, to, to be in that space, but we are. And what we have learned through that and it is that no matter what happens your values remain true and so we, we've we've never really felt the need to have to do you know crisis communications planning per se because we know what we stand for and it's about delivering on what we stand for so in, in some regards that's quite easy the second thing I would say is that it's consistency it's just consistency of, of messaging before we close today our conversation, I'd like to ask you two things, but they're quite different one from the other. The first one is that, I don't know if, I ask, if it has happened to you, but every time I get to a Congress or a conference or whatever, where there are other people that have, are involved in place branding, they're always asking you like, hey, how do you measure your place brand strategy? 
I mean, it's, it's, they're always asking you how to how do you measure stuff. But but the reason for that, I, I've come to the conclusion that it's not because they actually are curious about Costa Rica. It's just that they want it, they're looking for a magical formula or something like that, like a holy grail of how to measure your your brand. And well, from my opinion, my perspective, it has as uh, in, in 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 practice, there's not such a thing. I mean, it's it's, it's more like it depends on the sectors that are linked to your initiative, funding, the technology available, how close you are to political actors and obviously the characteristics of of your team or the idea that triggered the strategy itself so i was wondering if you have like a preference i don't know like one two or three top ideas on how to measure your brand's success so there is no magic formula it depends what you're trying to achieve and which audience you're going after and what your objective is there are three components to what we do around measurement One is we do our own perception research. So whilst we look at the international indices and the and the measures, et cetera, what's really important to us are the insights for each country or each city that we're targeting and monitoring those qualitative shifts in understanding and perceptions and beliefs around New Zealand. And then we very widely share that research from ministers right down to private sector businesses. So the value that we provide there is saying, this is what is positive and here are some watch outs. And because we have that information, we've educated the environment and inside New Zealand to look at qualitative insights rather than necessarily quantitative insights because we find that far more valuable. So that's one area. The second is that you can't avoid putting some numbers down. You, you just have to. You have to. So, so what we've done is created a, a dashboard of the key metrics. They're mainly inputs, so the number of people on your website, the number of social engagements, the number of followers, the number of downloads that we have, and we just plug that dashboard out every month, month after month after month after month. So that, you know, if you're asked the questions, like, have a look at the dashboard. All the numbers are there in terms of that. So the third component is, well, what's the, you know, what are some of the, the big surveys telling us? You know, the soft power index, the nation brand index, the rep track studies. And, and so, again, um, what I have, in fact, just, just done with two new ministers that I have is I've put together a paper explaining the six or so different surveys and indices and what they mean and what we get out of it and they've, and then summed that up and said so what that means for New Zealand is this I, I would say don't pick a survey or a measure I think it's about explaining carefully what the sum total of that gives you what's the trend what are the things that you need to take away from that and that look that works for us and it might not work for others Yeah, but there's also something very valuable you just mentioned about rankings. And the thing is that sometimes uh, there's, if you take a closer look, which the majority of the people don't, of how rankings have built up the fragments of it, the, the different dimensions of it, some of them, or the majority of those, uh, place branding teams have no possibility to affect them no. in, in any any manner. So it, it wouldn't be a responsibility of a place branding team to see the country going up or down in the, in the, in the rankings. So you have to be very careful about that. But yes. most important is you have to know the rankings. You, know, you have to know, uh, make the homework of Absolutely. knowing exactly how the ranking was built because questions are going to come and, and you need the, the, to have the answers. 
you, you have to just go and hide away in a dark room and really understand really those understand. rankings and what they mean and how they're developed and which ones are interesting and important and be able to answer those questions at the drop of a hat, Without which I did yesterday in, in, a, <laughs> in a meeting with ministers. Um, this is the so reason I, thing, so. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I think, too, you touched on a really important point, which is that the place branding or the nation branding, whatever you call it, the, the organisation or the entity itself is not solely responsible. You, you can't be, you're an enabler of others. So it's the collective results. So if the economy is improving, if the well-being of people is improving, those are all factors that everyone contributes to. And I think that's a really important but difficult concept to convey to people that it's not about this government department fixing something or solving something. It's actually about being the, the energy and the driver for, for many parts of the system, both public and private, to do the job that's needed. Without a doubt. I completely agree. And well, I think we have come to the end of our conversation, but one last question. And that one is, you know, there's uh, this trend I've, I've seen that uh, we are moving slowly from speaking most of the time about nation brands into city brands and communities. And, you know, coming from a small country, as Costa Rica is only 51,000 square kilometers and a population of 5 million, Yeah. Pretty much the same as you, but you have more territory. <laughs> you have more land. <laughs> I always thought that that in Costa Rica case, it will be just uh, very complicated to to create a successful city brand narrative or city brand strategy because of the size of the population, the whole population. But then at the end of last year comes Tamaki Makoro, Auckland, and uh, and wins the place brand of the year in the City Nation Place Global Congress. So that's it. That's that. My theory is done. So, <laughs> <Your> theory. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if you take a close look at their winning case, it amazed me how rather than moving away from the legacy of the New Zealand Nation brand, it actually embraces it into their narrative, and they built their case from those, from many natural and organic aspects. So I don't know. I think that that may be what I can describe only as a very symbiotic relationship between the city and, and the country itself. I have always believed that we are far too small and insignificant to have separate endeavors around city brands and country brands. It's hard enough to get people to realize where we are on a map let alone where Wellington or Christchurch or Auckland or Waikato or Tauranga or Hamilton, places you've never heard of and probably never will unless you visit. So I, I've always been somewhat cautious about the role or, or about putting too much emphasis on a city versus a country for a small nation. I think it's very, very different in Europe. I think it's very different in the US where you've got such a complex environment. There's absolutely every reason why New York should stand out as being different to Houston and, and different to LA. I completely understand that. But we have a problem. And the problem for New Zealand is that we are not known for having an urban environment. You can see we do have cities. We do have infrastructure. We have over a million and a half people living in Auckland. It's the fourth most diverse city in the world. So as a country, we actually need people to know that. So we've worked with Auckland to build on the brand proposition of the nation and bring to life the parts of Auckland that add value to the country brand, but also achieve Auckland's objectives. 
So in our situation, we need Auckland to be visible and uh, known because it enhances the country brand. And for Auckland, they need the country brand because otherwise, who knows where Auckland is or what the context of it is. So it's been a really interesting exercise for us to go through and a really positive one. Most definitely. And I think, yeah, of course, it is depend on the country's identity and actually to, to build a narrative. I completely agree. But it's it's quite uh, politically speaking or technically speaking, since these are usually different teams, it's very difficult to achieve those conversations effectively. So I think it's a very good exercise and I look forward to learn more about that. I think the next episode of, of this is series that Cination Place has created will be tackling that. So I look forward to that one as well. Well, I've learned so much in this last 25 minutes or so. Huge thanks to both of you, Daniel and Rebecca, for letting us eavesdrop on your catch-up and just for being so honest about some of the challenges of nation branding. And Rebecca, I look forward to chatting with you again on our second episode of Place to Place, where you're going to be in conversation with Shelley Watson, the Head of Marketing for Auckland Unlimited. So Auckland were the winners of our 2020 City Nation Place Awards for the Best Place Brand Strategy. And I'm sure our conversation will provide us with some fascinating insights into how nation brands and city brands work together. But for now, thanks so much again, Daniel and Rebecca, and thanks everyone for listening. Until next time.